VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Bloomberg, sound with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Alex Wayne, and for Kevin Cirilli, and tonight on Sound On, we'll talk about Donald Trump's latest appeal to foreign powers to investigate a political rival, as well as the impact on the presidential campaign. Impeachment remains the big story in hashtag this town today. And earlier today, the president stoked the flames by appearing to once again invite foreign powers to investigate his political rivals. China should start an investigation into the Biden, because what happened in China is just about as bad as what happened with uh, with Ukraine. So this reminded me a lot of uh, Trump back in 2016, famously inviting Russia to find Hillary's 30,000 emails. And uh, gosh, maybe I'm just kind of exhausted at this point. But um, I don't know. I'm having a little trouble summoning uh, summoning a lot of outrage about what he said today. But but Ty. Let's start off with start off with you. What did what did the president do wrong here today? Well, he clearly invited a violation of federal law, which <laughs> would probably be the first thing to start with. Um, but I think m- more to the point, um, politically, I think what he did wrong is he just keeps. M- pushing the boundaries more and more. And so far, it's sort of like a rubber band on your wrist. He's pushed it and pushed it and pushed it. And so far, there's been no snapback. But it seems, at least from, you know, his his base and Republicans in Congress, but it seems like there is going to be a snapback here pretty soon. Um, obviously, the impeachment inquiries have have begun. Um, I think that brings a level of seriousness and gravitas to the situation that that he doesn't really comprehend. And, you know, when you sort of operate in the sphere that he came from and many of the people that are around him sort of in the conspiracy world or, you know, the the right wing bubble or whatever, there's not a lot of consequences. But I think that, you know, people like Roger Stone, et cetera, are starting to realize that in the real world, there are real consequences to what what the actions are. Colin Reed, is there a snapback coming? <clears throat> we'll see. I mean, to use a, a poker analogy here, this is kind of um, upping the ante even further than where it was at. And, and I think that you've seen that on both sides for, uh, from the beginning of the week when Nancy Pelosi finally uh, caved on impeachment and move forward, something she'd been reluctant to do during her time as Speaker. And now Donald Trump is up the ante. I, I think what he must be concluding is that the collateral damage that 
Joe Biden and it will suffer politically in any sort of discussion about this is is worth any damage that he can sustain. And, you know, we'll see moving forward. But it, it used to be that these issues of oppo research or, hey, let me go look into my political opponent would be done behind the scenes by at the staff level. And now we're, we're living in a time where it's done by the president of the United States on, on national TV. So uh, it is certainly unconventional. But I, I think if anyone on either side has observed Donald Trump the last few years, I don't know that I think he's always been very comfortable doing the unconventional thing. Is any other Democrat in the field at this point considered a, a less, a less, I don't know, a less threatening rival than than Joe Biden? Is that the thinking here, Colin? Um, the conventional wisdom is that Joe Biden is the strongest candidate. I personally don't believe that, and we can get to that later in the yeah. show. I think yeah. Elizabeth Warren, you know, she's the one who's in the catbird seat as a result of everything that's happened this week because both of the people standing in her way to become president, uh, Joe Biden and Donald Trump, are. Are, 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 are having spending their week at each other's throats, and she's the one who's kind of sitting back and enjoying it all. Um, but look, I do think that regardless of what you think of what happened today or what happened, uh, what, he's, what Trump is talking about with China, any discussion about Hunter Biden is not a good day for Joe Biden either. And I think even you know Democrats, we can see that Hunter Biden has had some issues. And I think we've seen from 2016 that when you're dis- discussing the intersection of money and politics and whether a family personally profited by their government service is something that voters don't like. And uh, Donald Trump used it to great effect with Hillary Clinton, and he's going to try and replicate the same playbook with Joe Biden. Ty, is it going to work? Um, I don't think it's going to work the way he thinks it's going to work. And I think that there are two reasons why. One, um, I think that the media has learned a little bit about how to cover these issues. Um, and I think that they have uh, you know, seen um, that it is important how you frame it for, for readers or listeners. Um, and then secondly, I don't think that he realizes that as president of the United States, there are constraints that that come with that. So when you, um, you know, shout at a rally, hey, you know, Russia, if you're listening, find those 30,000 emails, there are, you know, the consequences of that are, you know, bad news stories, et cetera. When you do this as president, it brings with it legal ramifications. And then what the news becomes is the impeachment, not the charge. And I think that the, you know, the charge has been sort of so debunked um, and he has gone about it in such a, a ham-handed way, for lack of a better term, that he, if he wanted to land this, if he wanted to make this a, the issue of the campaign, he's sort of stepping on his own toes. Jordan, what do we what do we think the White House strategy is here? That the president's thinking is here to the extent we know. Why does he come out in public and say these things? Why does he Why does he Why does he invite Ukraine or China in front of uh, dozens of reporters to investigate a political rival? Well, first, I, I don't think the president believes that he's done anything wrong here. Uh, you, you go back to his press conference yesterday where he you know, uh, just fiercely denied uh, basically any wrongdoing. Uh, he said he thought he was off the legal hook once the Mueller investigation's over, and this really amounts to nothing. So I, I think he, deep down he truly doesn't understand why this is a problem. This is how he operated in private business, trying to seek leverage over the people he was dealing with. And I don't think he quite grasped that the presidency is, is different and there are different rules that apply. As far as what the White House is doing, I think they're really taking the cues from the president. We haven't seen them 
form any kind of war room or bring in extra staff to tackle this impeachment inquiry. And they're, they're letting the president call the shots and, and following his lead. Right. The president, the president is the war room, right? The mm-hmm. president is the impeachment czar. Uh, Colin, Colin, is that is that going to continue to work for him? That's, well, that's been true from the start of his presidency. He's always been his best spokesperson. He's always been his best on air and, and social media presence. So I, I don't think we should expect anything different because he, he has the loudest uh, megaphone uh, by far. And you have seen a bit of a muddled message from Republicans on the impeachment um, defense since it began in earnest at the beginning of the week. And I think we like to look back at the Clinton president, the Clinton impeachment from 98 and draw comparisons and study history to, to understand how, how, how what's going to happen in front of us is going to unfold. And back then, the Democrats, to their credit, had a very, very succinct, consistent and disciplined message that they used to deploy. Uh, and the Republicans were kind of all over the place. And I think that's one of the reasons that President Clinton was able to survive what he went through. Um, but again, Donald Trump, unconventional president, unconventional candidate. So I think you can continue to expect unconventional tactics. Are, are, the, are the tables flipped now, Ty? Do the, the, do the Democrats have a cohesive message here and, and Trump and the Republicans lack one? Uh, can, can I just go back to what Colin said yeah. real quick? I think one of the other really um, big differences is the median landscape has changed dramatically. There was no Facebook. There was no Twitter. There was no cable news. There was no internet, quite honestly, um, when when the impeachment went down. A so, simpler time. <laughs> yeah, to- totally. Um, so, you know, as long as you got the, um, the statement to the CBS Evening News, talked to the one Washington reporter before 8 p.m. that night, the message was cohesive. The message was was disciplined. I think that it is very hard for any person or any party to stay on a message because, one, there are so many outlets out there and there are so many direct-to-voter communications, right? Um, So I think that that's a challenge for any political party around any issue. Um, Do Democrats have a message? Look, um, I think that the the challenge there is we don't have a lead messenger – I mean, you've got Schumer and Pelosi, but you've also got, you know, Schiff and Waters and Nadler and, you know, Dick Durbin and all these other folks who have microphones um, and and that can be amplified. So each one of them is going to take it sort of uh, on their own personal view. And so you're going to find divergence within the Democratic caucus. Um, But in a way, that's a little easier than the Republicans because the Republicans are always going to be looking to Donald Trump and he changes his story like that. So all of a sudden, everybody's singing off the same songbook, and then he's like, hey, let's bring in a little Guns N' Roses, and the whole songbook is gone. Perfect. So I think that that is, that is the challenge for the Republicans is they want to tow the line, but they don't know where the line's going to be each day. Great. Ahead on Sound On, we'll talk about the response to Trump's remarks on the Hill and on the campaign trail. Download the Sound On podcast at iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Alex Wayne, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. You're back with Sound On, and I'm Alex Wayne sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. With me in the studio are Democratic strategist Ty Matzdorf, Republican strategist Colin Reed, and White House reporter for Bloomberg News, Jordan Fabian. Yesterday, the president called Joe Biden and his son Hunter, quote, stone-cold crooked. 
The former vice president fired back today after Trump's remarks on China and Ukraine. Let's listen to what he said. You're not going to destroy me and you're not going to destroy my family. I don't care how much money you spend, Mr. President, or how dirty the attacks get. We got a lot of polling since uh, this impeachment inquiry began, both in the race and both on on how impeachment is playing with voters. Jordan, can you catch us up a little bit on on how the polls look for uh, both Trump and his impeachment and what what this is, what kind of effect this is having on the race? Sure. So we've seen some public polls showing uh, some movement. Uh, toward impeachment. Uh, USA Today Ipsos poll showed that uh, plurality, 44 uh, percent, support the House vote and uh, around the same would support the Senate voting to remove Trump from office. And And the way it's affecting the election is we're seeing some key demographic groups uh, start to voice support for impeachment. For example, you know, college-educated whites. There was an NPR Marist poll this week that showed 50 percent um, support the House's impeachment investigation. That's, of course, a group that President Trump won narrowly over Hillary Clinton in 2016. And if the president is going to have success in some key states like Pennsylvania and the suburbs there, that's a group he needs to hold on to. So if I was the Trump campaign, I'd be looking at those numbers and worrying a bit about uh, the direction this is heading. And, and Ty, uh, Elizabeth Warren is surging in the polls in the last couple of weeks. She's A couple of polls have shown her ahead in Iowa, ahead in New Hampshire. Has the president succeeded in kneecapping his, his what he thought at the time was his top rival in the Democratic primary? Uh, I don't think so. Um, and here's why. Uh, well, it, it really depends. And what we don't know the answer to yet is how do Democratic voters interpret the Trump attacks on Biden. Because if you look at every poll from the beginning of this election cycle um, on what Democratic voters care about in the nominee, the number one thing, hands down, is that they can beat Trump. That's more important to them than any issue. It's more important to them than any ideology, any you know age, whatever. The most important thing to them is can they beat Donald Trump? And so if voters interpret this onslaught from Trump as, wow, Biden must be the strongest candidate, that's why Trump's trying to pick a fight with him, then I think that is good for Joe Biden. If voters interpret it as, oh, man, Trump's really exposing some weaknesses, and this is the buzzsaw that Biden's going to face in the general, maybe we should go somewhere else, then I think that it is bad for Joe Biden. But what we don't know is how Democratic primary voters will interpret this attack. Colin, how do you think uh, how do you think Joe Biden is handling this so far on the campaign trail? I've been struck by the level of defensiveness. I mean, they seem like they recognize this could be a political problem for them and are responding in force. I mean, I thought the letter the other day demanding that the TV stations not put Rudy Giuliani on TV was odd because on one hand, the Democrats like to say Rudy is crazy and he, he <laughs> should like be taken seriously. I feel like they want more Rudy Giuliani on TV, right? Right. <laughs> and then on the other hand, you've got Joe Biden's team saying, no, 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 keep this guy off TV. So it was just – it, it was a bizarre mixed messaging. So there's that. But in terms of um, Team Biden, the, the thing is like it's not just going to be Donald Trump and his campaign that's making this case. It's going to be mainstream reporters. I mean, what Hunter Biden was doing in the Ukraine, why he was being paid $50,000 a month about energy when he knows nothing about energy is a legitimate issue. It's been explored by outlets like The New Yorker of all places, uh, where a lot of this stuff began originating earlier this summer. Now this new this new thing in, in China and what he was doing over there on an official vice presidential trip uh, as he was setting up a private equity firm over there. Like Reporters are going to dig into that, and it's going to lead to fresh rounds of stories. And I think the Trump 
team must be hoping for a similar kind of drip, drip, drip that we saw with Hillary Clinton in the emails in 2016 when it just never seemed to go away. Here's the thing I wonder about polling. Uh, as Jordan said, the polls seem to be moving uh, against Trump toward uh, the American public favoring impeachment. But uh, does it matter? I mean, is there is there some level of polling at which uh, House Democrats will get cold feet and drop the inquiry? Or is there some level of polling where, where Senate Republicans will, will start thinking about a yes for conviction? Ty? Uh, I don't think any amount of polling pulls back an impeachment inquiry. Like, you cannot – and that's why – They're all in now. They can't – Yeah, that's why the leader was so um, – thoughtful and deliberate about when she was going to launch this because she knows um, that once that toothpaste is out of the tube, it's not coming back in. Um, it's also very – and I'd be curious Jordan's take on this, who who looks at a lot of polling too or Colin. It's also really hard to fully gauge public opinion on impeachment because a lot of the public doesn't fully understand what it means. Some of them think that it means automatically Trump's out of the office. Um, some of it means that it is just another level of investigation. Like there is a lot of confusion about and and the wording of the questioning matters. So polling, I think, on an issue like this is going to be. I mean, like it's it, you've got to pay attention to it to, to some degree. You can look for patterns, but I think that we've got to um, look at it with the appropriate amount of um, not skepticism, but just understanding that the data might not be rich and full because the respondents might not be fully informed on their response. Thank you. All right. Ahead, uh, we will interview uh, campaign sp- Trump campaign spokesman Mark Lauder, and we'll talk about the first witness to be deposed in the House impeachment inquiry, Kurt Volker. Uh, download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Alex Wayne, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. Welcome back to Sound On. I'm Alex Wayne, sitting in for Kevin Cirilli. The House committee is conducting the impeachment inquiry, and, and, impeachment inquiry into President Donald Trump, deposed their first witness today, Kurt Volker, until recently Trump's special envoy to Ukraine. Republicans thought this interview was kind of a bust. Let's hear from Representative Jim Jordan. But not one thing he has said comports with any of the Democrats' impeachment narrative. Not one thing. So that's all well and good. But while this deposition was going on, uh, ABC News and Fox News reported that Volker provided some text messages to the committees uh, suggesting that the top diplomat in Kiev right now, Bill Taylor, uh, thought that Trump was withholding military aid from Ukraine in order to pressure the country's president into investigating the Bidens. A quote from those text text messages, uh, Bill Taylor wrote Kurt Volker, quote, I think it's crazy to withhold security assistance for help with a political campaign. Uh, on the line, we have uh, Mark Lauder, who is the Strategic Communications Director for the Trump 2020 campaign. Mark, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me, Alex. Uh, so uh, let me just uh, ask, what did, you, what did you learn, what did the campaign learn from, from this first deposition and this uh, impeachment inquiry? Uh, did, it, did it change your thinking at all about uh, this proceeding in the House? 
obviously this was held in the on Capitol Hill behind closed doors, so we're basically going on what we're reading in some early media accounts. But I think there have been multiple uh, folks who are in the room say that this has been uh, punched a giant hole in uh, Adam Schiff's uh, impeachment inquiry and his uh, basically his already flimsy uh, basis for impeachment is falling apart underneath it. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. But I have no doubt that this is a uh, you know just another example of Adam Schiff. Uh, basically getting in front of himself and, and, and the truth not being anywhere near him. Now, we were talking earlier about uh, some impeachment polling. Uh, the polls have shown that uh, there's some movement against the president among public opinion. It seems like uh, the public is, is – the, the trend seems to be towards support for impeachment. Um, does that give you guys any concern? Do you have any data that would, that would contradict those, those public polls? Well, I would I would contradict it with just what we have seen on the ground already. I mean, just in the in the first uh, few days after Nancy Pelosi announced this impeachment uh, inquiry, before the facts even started to come out. We had raised about $13 million. 50,000 new donors reached out to the campaign for the first time ever. I mean, those are large numbers of people who are seeing what the Democrats and many in the mainstream media are doing in this nonstop drive toward impeachment. And they're standing up and reaching out and saying, no, I want to support this president. You guys raised $125 million in the last quarter. I think I have that right, uh, between the Trump campaign and the Republican National Committee. Uh, right now, you are kind of uh, burying the Democrats in an avalanche of cash, it seems. No, absolutely. And I think twofold. One, it shows obviously the strength that the president has across the country, that he is setting all of these records uh, with fundraising. And this this even just dwarfs what Barack Obama did during his reelection at a similar time. But I think it also shows that this this campaign is going to be fully is fully capable of investing and making the 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 investments on the ground that you need to make to put him over the edge in in next November. I mean, we just announced a few minutes ago that we're already going to start airing ads in uh, many key states that are going to show people what Joe Biden is really doing. So it's going to happen in early states like Nevada, in New Hampshire, Iowa, South Carolina. Um, we have the money to be able to make those investments. We've already gone up with uh, with other ads. We're putting people on the ground to help sign up volunteers, train volunteers. These are the things that, uh, you know, an incumbent candidate has the ability to do, and we're doing it in record fashion. Since you brought up those ads, I'll just ask you, right before I got in the studio, there was a CNN, uh, excuse me, a, a Times report, I think, that CNN had uh, refused to run those ads, citing uh, inaccuracies. Uh, any response to that? Well, I mean, CNN is 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 so full of inaccuracies. It's it's hardly even considered a news network any longer. But the ads that we're talking about, and I think it's very important for people to understand, you had a sitting vice president of the United States whose son, with no experience and no background in Ukraine or natural gas, was getting paid fifty thousand dollars a month. Who that same son, who also had very little of any experience in in corporate America, who got a one point five billion dollar investment from the Chinese government just days after stepping off of Air Force Two with his father as vice president. If, if there's no other reason, we've got to ask questions because the appearance of impropriety is pretty strong. And I think it's right for people to ask those questions about, well, why was someone whose father was the vice president, who had no other skills or experience in these areas, getting these massive kind of payments? But those, both of those incidents have been pretty well explored by the media, and, and absolutely no wrongdoing has been found by the vice president. 
I think there's a question of wrongdoing if you got if you ever have a family member if you are actually taking the lead in negotiations with Ukraine or with China and your family has a direct financial impact on it the own ethics rules of our government require that not to happen in fact many people in the Obama State Department raised questions about it people apparently in the Obama White House raised questions about it this is by according to the New York Times I think there are legitimate questions to continue to be asked about it. Okay. Well, thank you, Mark Lauder. We, uh, we need to move along. Thank you for spending some time with us. Uh, when we're back from break, we will uh, talk about what Mark Lauder had to say with the panel here. Uh, we'll also talk about some non-impeachment stuff that maybe ought to be on your radar, but probably isn't. Uh, download the Sound On podcast on iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Alex Wayne. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. You're back with Sound On, and I'm Alex Wayne filling in for Kevin Cirilli. Uh, so let's do a quick round uh, around the panel, around the group in the room, and talk about what you heard from Mark Lauder. Jordan Fabian, White House reporter for, for Bloomberg News. Uh, what did you think of uh, what Mark had to say? You know, of course, you know, Mark's doing his job, but it, it did strike me uh, that the, the Trump campaign and, and the Trump White House is all of a sudden very concerned about people in office profiting off of their political office. So, you know, this has obviously been a, a focus of the emoluments lawsuits going through the, the Congress and the courts. Uh, you know, there's questions about the Trump Hotel here and foreign governments staying there. And it, it just seems like the, this, the Trump team is opening the president up to uh, to these attacks. And I think it goes to... Air Force planes landing at his resort in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the list goes on and on, yeah. right, Alex? So <laughs> it, it does it, indeed. Yeah, and, and so it just seems like they're opening the door to these kind of attacks. And it goes, again, to the fact that there, you know, the impeachments are is President Trump. So really whatever he says goes. There's no one planning any kind of like central message that can uh, sort of prevent those kind of uh, attacks uh, on them as they battle these impeachment inquiries. Ty Matstor. Uh, Democratic strategist here in the studio with us. What did you What did you think of what uh, Mark Lauder, the the Trump campaign spokesman, had to say? Um, I think that there was a lot to respond to, but <laughs> what was sort of humorous to me is the accusation that Hunter Biden was put on a board um, and in an industry that he didn't have much experience in. Yet, just a quick back of the envelope: Jared Kushner is in charge of Middle East peace, government reform, opioid crisis, criminal justice reform, liaison to Mexico, liaison to China, liaison to the Muslim community. And I'm not sure uh, his portfolio coming into the White House would lend him to be an expert in all those areas. And his position seems a little more consequential than on a board. But that's just me. (laughs) Colin Reed, your takeaway from Mark Lauder's interview. I think it's pretty clear they sense vulnerability with this Hunter Biden angle, and they're not going to let their foot off the gas on it. And here's the thing. The messaging matters and also the messenger matters. And if it's Donald Trump and Joe Biden debating this one-on-one or taking unscripted questions from the press, you have to take Donald Trump over that, over Biden any day. I mean, Joe Biden looks shaky. He's putting it kindly on the debate stage, babbling on about record players. And at some point, he's going to have to answer these hard questions the way Trump does every every day, but before the reporters and these press conferences. So 
that's where this fight's ultimately going to be determined. And I, I don't think if – if I'm the Biden team, I do not want to have that debate with my candidate. I got it. Let me, let me just break in here though. I mean does, is, it, is it fair to say that Donald Trump does not look shaky at, for example, his press conference yesterday with the, the president of Finland? Well, he does press conferences and he engages with reporters and his answers get dissected and he at least is able to project a sense of strength, which Biden's been unable to do throughout the course of these debates. And it will be interesting to see if this hunter angle gets picked up by any of Biden's Democratic opponents the next debate, which is, I, th- I think, 10 days away. So that'll yeah. be the next kind of inflection point in this in this uh, road we're on. Colin, let me ask you about fundraising. Are, are, are Republicans uh, heartened by by the, the Trump campaign hauling in all this all this cash, $125 million in the last quarter? I think they've raised over $300 million to, through the year so far. Yeah, and that's one of the untold stories is when you kind of try and handicap this, Donald Trump's going to have advantages in 2020 that he did not have in 2016, and one of which is the united infrastructure behind him, and two is a massive fundraising advantage over his ultimate competitor. Um, and, and one area where it's been a, a bright spot for Republicans so far has been the rise of small-dollar donors. For 15 years now, the Democrats, to their credit, have had the feel to themselves when it comes to small-dollar donations. They have this behemoth called Act Blue that helps fund all these candidates at the grassroots level. And this year, for the first time ever, and with the blessing of all the Republican uh, infrastructure, a group called Win Red has come along and has, uh, while admitting it's going to take a long time to equal the playing field, has begun that process and just raised $30 million in their first quarter of existence. So uh, that's one area where I think you will start to see the fundraising begin to equalize. Let's stay on that. This is a this is a good what's on your radar subject, Ty. Uh, what's on my radar is Q, Q3, Q2 and Q3 of the off year are the hardest times for congressional candidates to raise money. And we're about to see a whole bunch of reports from these new class of freshman Democrats. If the green wave that powered the blue wave in 2018 continues through, you know that the House Republicans or the Republicans chance of making inroads in the House is going to be uh, a difficult road to, to go down. The, the green wave, you mean with the, the freshman Democrats like uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez? No, no, no. I'm talking more about the frontline Democrats, the ones that are in really mm. competitive races that are you know raising $500,000, $800,000. There was more money raised in congressional races last cycle than ever in history. Mm. Um, and you you know last quarter you had, I think, over 30 of the freshman Democrats, the vulnerable frontline ones, yeah. raising more than a half million dollars. That's what I'm looking more towards. But Colin's right. Um, the president's going to have a huge... Huge fundraising advantage, and this is why it is so important that Democratic outside groups fill, like American Bridge and things like that, fill the space holding Donald Trump accountable because the Democratic primary candidates can't be doing that right now. Donald Trump won in 2016 despite a pretty big fundraising disadvantage, though. Yes, but the untold story is the infra- two two untold stories. One, the infrastructure that the RNC had in place, particularly a ground game, and two, what does the bulk of Hillary Clinton's money go to? Is paid television ads, and Donald Trump got it for free because he was such a showman that you know um, the cable networks would carry it live. Shows like Good Morning America, which in 2012 would do one segment a week on the presidential race, were doing multiple segments a day. So you can't discount the cost of free media because most of what campaign fundraising goes towards is paid media. Okay, and.
and and real quick, Colin brought up Win Red as yes. as a as a, a what's on what's on your radar item. Just put that in and and uh, compare that for me. How much money is Act Blue bringing in compared to like the Win Win Red's thirty million? Well, so it's important to remember that this is conduit. So yeah. it is just a platform to give to candidates, and um, I think that Win, Act Blue, you know, over the course of their existence, has done about one point six billion dollars. But Act Blue is a not for profit organization which gets a lot more buy-in because I think some of the skepticism on the Republican side is sort of who's making money on this. When ActBlue first set up and they've maintained this, they're a not-for-profit organization, so Democrats are much more um, uh, uh, comfortable using them. Also, Democrats are much more comfortable sharing information. I think there's some suspicion or hesitancy from some of these congressional candidates and Donald the Trump organization mm. specifically in sharing information. <laughs> I don't know if I can blame them for that. Uh, Jordan, what's on your radar? Uh, well, we talked about it earlier in the newsroom, Alex, but North Korea. Yeah, uh, yeah North Korea, something that gets lost in the impeachment debate. But um, you know, North Korea fired off a, a, a ballistic missile from a submarine this week. And this happened just before uh, talks are supposed to resume between U.S. and North Korean officials. So uh, pretty, pretty bad timing, I would say, on the Trump administration's part. And um, uh, you know, all indications are that those talks are still a go, but uh, it looks increasingly difficult for the president to call this process a win. It looks the the, the path to a deal uh, is really unclear right now. And heading into his reelection, it, it might be difficult for the president, you know, while fending off impeachment inquiries, fending off Democrats in the House, to talk about what are the foreign policy accomplishments he's had. Uh, in his time in office, I, I'm really I'm kind of taken aback by what's going on with North Korea lately. This is this is uh, they've they've been testing little short range missiles for for several weeks now. There's been I think we reported there's been ten or eleven of them since the spring. Uh, Trump's been dismissing them. They're, they've all been they've you know some of them have been like artillery essentially. But the other day they tested what what analysts think is a submarine launched ballistic missile, a weapon that could threaten allies across Asia, a weapon that if it were loaded on a submarine could be driven up to the U.S. coast and, th- and threaten cities here. And, and the White House has, has said what? Well, I mean, the only statement we've heard from the White House directly was President Trump today on the South Lawn was asked about this, this incident and basically said, you know, his uh, canned response, we'll see what happens, uh, we'll do talks. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of North Korea hawks, both inside the administration, outside the administration, uh, you know, cough, John Bolton, uh, <laughs> say, uh, the, you know, the president needs to send a message here that uh, these types of uh, attacks are, are not OK and, and uh, to, to get these talks back on track. But, you know, the president values his friendship with Kim Jong Un and has shown real no really no interest in doing so. All right. Well, thank you. Um, I want to thank my guests. Republican strategist Colin Reed, Democratic strategist Ty Matzdorf, as well as Bloomberg News White House reporter Jordan Fabian. Jordan, get back to work, please. (laughs) (laughs) Download the Sound On podcast at iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Alex Wayne, and you've been listening to Sound On on Bloomberg 99.1. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. 
Our data is made for more. So you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more.